Welcome to another episode of the Sample Hour. I'm Drew Sample. I'm Wes Sample. <laughs> today we have a special... Merry Christmas, bitches, number one. But today we have a special episode. We have the one and only Postal Poet. We did a Skype podcast, and we finally are figuring out our equipment so both Wes and I could get on the Skype podcast with the Postal Poet. Because Nick Guzman. He's Nick- one of the most interesting people you will meet. He's got a fantastic voice, incredibly intelligent, and just has just a lot of knowledge that he's anxious to impose on people. And a lot of kids. Uh, I guess not impose. <laughs> Hand out <laughs> to people. Yeah. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy this, but you can follow him at Postal Poet. Um, it's actually just at Postal Poet, not at the Postal Poet. At Postal Poet. Um, and th- you can listen to his podcast. It's the Postal Poet Podcast. Um, Postal all- Poet is one word, podcast, one word. Uh, he makes a lot of references. If you go to Gnostic Media, if you just Google search Gnostic Media, and it's spelled with a G. So so if, you're, if you have the same level of intelligence as me, and you think it's spelled with an N first, you're incorrect. It's G-N-O-S-T-I-C space, then media, M-E-D-I-A. So you guys can check that stuff out. He talks a lot about the Trivium and all that information's on there. It's also, uh, you can also buy uh, The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. Uh, Gnostic Media Publishing is actually the ones that brought that book back, uh, John Marco Allegro. Um, so if you, if you guys want to, yeah, so you guys heard what I said. And then, yeah, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Drew Sample. I'm at Clever Wes. And also follow our podcast account. At the sample hour, I feel like you you're sometimes like a UFC fighter afterwards, and you're like, I've got to get in as much as I can before that's over, and I'm paying for the second. That's that's a strong possibility of me being that way. Yeah, it's um, like you can relax a little bit. It's okay, Drew. Also, rate, comment, and subscribe on our podcast on iTunes. Uh, and actually, if you like it, you know, recommend it to your friends. Thanks for everyone who listens, and Dad, uh, Merry Izzy. Christmas to everybody. Um, everyone's everyone's been really great, and fuck your podcast, <laughs> and Mister No Susquehanna. All right, guys, Merry Christmas. Come on, have it. Well, at last, got the break we've been waiting for. My dad just recently was like, "Yeah, I've been uh, I've been listening to Postal Poet too," and I'm like, "Oh, that's cool." Oh shit, that's bad. Yeah. I hadn't even checked out your podcast yet. Not to like, not to sound shitty. It's just it's hard because there are so many podcasts, and I don't really. I've been like still trying to learn how to edit and everything. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. And looking for jobs, but we uh, like Wes was saying, we were checking it out the other day, and 
Yeah, it was just interesting, man, to hear someone that went down like uh, all the religious paths that you did and just uh, I just think that stuff's fascinating, man, especially when you like just talking to someone and when, when you kind of like look up and you realize that you're the only person that's really trying to grow, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, nobody else is really growing in here. It's probably time to move on. Yeah, it was it was weird. Um it it was really about yeah just being an inquisitive mind what i've found out is just like it, it doesn't matter what walk of life it is um if you're somebody that's trying to acquire knowledge it's just that curiosity and when i was in I, when i was in fort polk one uh, a guy that i knew he, he was from armenia former uh, former soviet union and he was about he was probably about 30 something let me see he was like 34, 35, and what he what happened with him is he ended up having a nervous breakdown. He was from California in Glendale, and he was going to Berkeley for, to study law. And he, it was his second year or something like that, and his wife, something happened with him and his wife. He, If he ever ends up listening to this, you know, and anything that I say about him is all positive, but he, he ended up having a like a nervous breakdown and everybody lost track of him and he had his buddy's car and his buddy called the the cops just to find out where he was so he ended up getting picked up by the cops uh by the you know by the ocean and stuff because he was camping out there and he was it was just too much for him so what he ended up doing is just he ended up enlisting and somebody who's traditionally armenian does not do that you know what i mean yeah. so i just wanted to get away change of settings and everything so he he ended up molding a lot of my thoughts when i was in um in the military like i already had this different perspective coming from mexico but he added another level to it and uh he always taught me like look man you just got to be curious he's like i tell my kids you know why why are we stopping at this light what is you know why do why did they set this up you know why this and why that and it was just like it really set me on this weird path to where i'm just constantly just wanting to know why and and not satisfying myself with just uh, appeal to authority and just the basic stuff that we're fed you know and i I think that the three conditioning systems in America are the military, the churches that we have, which even those those now are watered down, actually. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the way that and we can get into that later. But and uh, schooling, schooling is really, really a big conditioning for our society. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Have you ever uh, checked out John Taylor Gatto? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. dude. It, American, uh, the Underground History of the American Education is a great book. Like that really yeah, opened up my eyes. For sure, man. And I learned about him through Gnostic Media. Um, he had actually interviewed him, and he also interviewed another guy named Gene Odening. And Gene Odening uh, referred probably, I think, to John Taylor Gatto. The reason John Taylor Gatto is important is because he he's the guy that compiled all this. Uh, primary all these primary resources so he's citing all these things and uh, that's why i mean 
anybody could say the things that he says, but this dude did the research and it's like to build on his foundation and then find out where we need to go from there is what makes him so important. I think uh, the last time the, the video interview that he did, that's very famous on YouTube and, and stuff like that. And uh, I think he had like a stroke or something like that uh, shortly after that. So that's like the limits of the brain that we can get from wow. him, you know. That's and all his his books that he's already done. He he was like teacher of the year. Yeah, in the United was, States. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He uh, he's trying to make a documentary now. Sometimes you you wonder about things like that. You see these these uh, revolutionaries, so to speak, get struck down in some manner all the time from. Bobby Kennedy to civil rights, other civil rights leaders like Martin Luther King. Now it's starting to seem more and more. Maybe I'm just going off the deep end in conspiracy land as well. But I, I just feel like this happens to people pretty often uh, where some debilitating thing happens that, that takes them out of the game, that prevents them from going further into the rabbit hole. It's weird because I was thinking about that on the military side and how – um, well, I like I, I don't think like I think we need to get rid of taboos whenever we think of things. Uh, There's so many concepts that are that have charged words, you know, like conspiracy it just sounds like deep end ish. Right. Yeah. But if, if we you know, it's like it's kind of silly. But what if we reword it? Right. Like, you know, I don't know. You well, know, uh, no, that makes sense. Highly is, probable theory. I don't know. <laughs> the, the thing is, I mean, even with conspiracy, I mean, you can get somebody else in prison essentially for conspiracy or to conspire to have that same sort of effect. Um, so that that's part of that negative connotation that they just wrap up around it. So whenever you hear that word, you immediately think, oh, shit, that's not a good thing. Oh, right, right. And it's like so many different things uh, in our society that we really need to look into to be able to think critically as a society i mean yeah sure me and you and uh, or the three of us can actually yeah. like uh look into these things with a critical mind and try to um find out what's really going on mm -hmm. but the social conscious is what matters and the social conscious is what is uh kind of in, in a uh is imprisoned for a lack of better words like it's stale it's like discouraged from learning you know yeah. um i'm sorry but back to the uh the whole thing about what they do with uh, significant figures um one thing i noticed like i've been i've been really trying to look at this thing about education and what i've noticed is that we are given our heroes you know we are given who we need to appreciate in our nation. Um, we were like, uh, I'm going to give the example of, uh, and minorities, you know, yeah. we're given, um, Martin Luther King. We're given Booker T. Washington Carver, you know, yeah. uh, we're given all these, uh, figures when there were actually critical thinkers parallel, paralleling them in that timeline that were actually the ones pushing uh, that made things happen that are obscure in our nation, you know, and you really have to dig into primary resources to find out 
like, wow, why was this dude mentioned, you know? And then it's like, oh, shit, this dude actually did something, you know? Yeah. Um, it's the unsung heroes on the front lines, the ones who are getting yeah. beaten up, the ones who had the dogs released on them. Uh, those are the ones who are, you know, yeah, the man. ones who are actually making that difference, whereas someone's going up on a stage as a figurehead. Oh, yeah, yeah man, exactly. Like, it, it's... It, it, and I think that's why the government always, like, they're taunting, like, this Occupy Wall Street movement and Anonymous and, like, well, who's your figurehead, you know? Because they want to know how to manipulate that data that social consciousness like where can we go from here but if it's if it's hard to define then they can't do anything with it you know (laughs) that's actually really observational i mean a figurehead can be bought a person can be bought can be discredited an idea can't Uh, uh, exactly man that's that's really impressive that's right that's why alan moore wrote in v for vendetta ideas are bulletproof Awesome, man. Another thing that I'm really into is like the military, right? And I'm going to go deep into this in my podcast, but, you know, giving uh, citing sources and things like that, but and giving examples like, uh, but right now at the top of my head, I'm thinking about military figures, about how they are propped up to manipulate the social consciousness and creating these heroes right so you have somebody like general Patton or general macarthur and these people are like badasses and they do you know a bunch of cool shit and then all of a sudden uh what ends up happening is that they end up tearing them back down basically use them for whatever they need and then tear them back down like uh, you know uh, Patton, it's like, yeah, okay, they gave him a movie, right? And then it's at the, at the end, he walks away, and a true soldier, you know, whatever, it go, you know, fades away, doesn't, you know, whatever the fuck. Like. Absolutely. Uh, and you saw the same thing in this war with General Petraeus. I remember being when uh, General Odierno. Let me let me just drink a little water. Yeah, no problem. I was uh, with a um, uh, second of the 149th in Grand Prairie. And we were a battalion of uh, General Support Aviation Battalion. So we had, um, I was actually part of the S1, which is um, like personnel files and stuff like that. So I was able to interact with uh, all the first sergeants. Actually, I had to to get their pay right and all this other kind of bullshit, right? This was the second time that I went to Iraq. And when I went to... uh, How many times did you go total real quick? Just so I went... Our listeners know his military background. Oh, I'm sorry, man. Yeah, I went first in 2004, and I only went there for maybe about four months. We were doing a transition between two units. And uh, so that was in 2004. Uh, then I, I think it was like 2007 or 2008 with the National Guard the second time. The first time was with active duty. And um, I was uh, stationed at Fort Polk. Um, and in 2000, I was actually in Korea on September 11, 2001. That's insane. Um, yeah. So it was like a very trippy. I mean, think <laughs> you're like in another world already. And then you, you have, a, you know, the person that, you know, yeah. <laughs> you're with waking you up and like, Hey, look at the TV, you know, it's like, oh, shit, it's a movie or what? Yeah, yeah. it's it crazy seeing it on the Korean news versus yeah. American war machine news. Yeah, it was weird, dude. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, 
uh, so uh, the unit that I was with, uh, it was uh, we, it was a general support aviation battalion. So we had basically Chinooks, which did like cargo and personnel, like one company. I think maybe two companies did that. The other company was like a medevac, and the other company was uh, like uh, it, it was also, I guess, personnel. But they ended up being attached to uh, the the um, uh, I guess like whoever the general is for the theater over there in Iraq. Because you have a general for that's over Iraq, you have a general that's over Afghanistan, and then you have one that's uh, over the entire theater of you know the middle east or whatever right so any kind of uh, operations yeah so the one that was there in iraq when i got there was uh petraeus and so then they moved him i think that was that's when they started shifting him pushing him more towards a political side Mm -hmm. and uh they start i think they moved him to afghanistan because he was kind of like looked upon like a little savior or something like that right Mm -hmm. so like, oh, this is the guy's going to fix shit, right? And, uh, but I remember, and so General Odierno uh, took over Iraq. And this dude was, uh, that was the, the, the conversations that we were having in theater. Like, oh, yeah, man, they're setting up this dude to be a politician. Like, it, it, everybody kind of, like, got that feeling. Yeah. And so this dude you see the same thing happen that happened with MacArthur, the same thing that happened with, uh, you know, they, they tore him down, man. It's like, uh, and it wasn't until I started reading uh, Plato's Republic that he actually specified the military class or the defenders uh, as a whole nother class. Like, it wasn't, like, those are not the uh, elite, the actual uh, actual one percent yeah 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 they, they're just a tool just like um just like the the, the working class you know well, and uh it's interesting it, they're just their war yeah, dogs that, that was actually it, the, exactly the, the peak that someone could get to because you had the uh the, the merchants and the owners and and the wealthy essentially and the firstborn son typically inherited all of that if you were a second born son or less I mean, the the most hope you can get was to have success in the military. The military was the way that Rome actually conquered places, not just beyond murdering and slaughtering people, but um, you could actually work your way up into almost being a citizen, not quite, but you could like earn your citizenship by working in the military after they conquered your people. Um, oh, most definitely, man. But we need to distinguish between ancient uh, Greece, which is like Plato's time, and then Rome itself when it started uh oh yeah probably like you know and like what one 200 BC and they actually started uh you know like like a maybe 100 BC I guess that time period was the when you had Julius Caesar and and they started actually implementing the old Roman gods and stuff like that and but yeah I mean Roman citizenship was so valuable man like You look at uh, like if you're gonna if you're if you're gonna take the Bible uh, as a historical document, even if you believe that it's uh, you know I don't know if you guys have seen that uh, point of view of uh, Caesar's Messiah. Do you guys, are you guys familiar with that? I'm not. I'm not either. Okay, well there's this uh, there's this guy that was 
<laughs> I keep going into rabbit holes. No problem, dude. That's great. That's why we want to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Well, we're going to get back to uh, Rome, right? But yeah. basically this guy, he was um, – uh, Jan Irvin from Gnostic Media interviewed this guy initially, like, and you see the progression of uh, their relationship. And Jan Irvin is uh, stuck on this thing, you know, the trivium, and, and I'm so glad because I, I get it now, you know, yeah. uh, that our mind needs to think correctly as far as, you know, grammar, logic, and rhetoric. So to be able to understand, like, all this, we need to understand the grammar of it and not, like – general grammar but special grammar and special grammar you know like who are we talking who what when where why and how and um so this dude that he interviewed was an an american that went to the only school that was available when he was uh, in japan when he was younger was a like an old catholic or monistic type of school that still had uh still they taught them latin and greek and uh, the use of the trivium and everything and um so anyway he of course left the faith and then came back to it and analyzed it correctly and and uh, he started uh, researching a lot of primary documents and learned about the flavia the flavians and i hope you know it's like for everybody that's listening, if you're a Catholic or a Christian or whatever, like I'm not dogging at all. Like I, I'm we not are. for anybody. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, on, Christmas, <laughs> on Christmas yeah. Day. Fuck your holiday. <laughs> like me, like I recognize that, you know, like it, it's just something that makes me feel comfortable. You know what I mean? But I'm not discounting all the ideas that, that are possible. So anyway, this uh, Flavian, Flavia, uh, Flavia Caesar, uh, actually, the Flavians were a big, uh, prominent family that actually created this uh, narrative of, uh, you know, the uh, the New Testament in order to uh, be able to uh, pacify the revolts that were happening in Judea. And that was a Roman territory. And so what they wanted to do is pacify. But anyway, this dude goes into primary resources and things like that. So, you know, what I mean, I mean, we could be talking about it as a theory, but it wouldn't matter unless, you know, there's actually proof. And, uh, you know, so anyway, that that's why I give that idea a lot of uh, credibility, weight, I guess. Yeah, credibility. Yeah. So uh, anyhow, <clears throat> so talking about. If you are to see at least, even if you do believe that, at least you can still read the Bible and see like, okay, well, this is, uh, these things are uh, given, like the, these uh, habits that they're doing, like when they take Paul uh, from jail all the way from from there, from uh, Judea all the way to freaking Rome, because he's a U.S. citizen and the Jews are accusing him of basically violating their religion. And so because he was from Tarsus, uh, his family background was uh, Roman as opposed, like he always brags about that. He's like, I'm not, he's like, I was actually born a Roman citizen. I wasn't, uh, you know, he makes the distinction between those that actually buy their citizenship and those that actually are born there. It's kind of like an American, like, oh, I'm not, I'm not an 
damn naturalized citizen. I was fucking born here, you know, yeah. or I, this is like a birthright. So I guess just getting back to that, how much that was worth, you know, and now it's like, it doesn't really fucking matter if you are yeah. uh, a citizen at all. You know what I mean? They just use that label terrorism and fucking gives them license to do whatever they want. The Romans had more respect for citizenship than we do. Well, it, it's almost like it's an imaginary currency because uh, people want to brag about it still, I, I feel like, you know, but it, like you said, it doesn't mean shit when, you know, you can be detained indefinitely regardless. Yeah, I know. It's, yeah. It's pretty crazy, dude. Yeah, I tend to, uh, on the note of people that were born here versus people that were naturalized, I tend to prefer naturalized people because they've already come from, like, they've already had to, like, uh, overcome a lot just to be here, and it's they appreciate being here more yeah. versus, oh, America. Um, so that whole perspective of like, it's, it's just like, it's just, it's, it's like the example between the, our view of gun control versus the NRA's view of gun, you know what I mean? Like gun ownership versus the NRA's view of gun ownership. I could be, what do you mean? Stretching and not making any sense at all. No, go ahead and make the (laughs) connection. I'm trying trying to follow you. It's just like the, I feel like a lot of people that were just born here don't, think for themselves like they're they're just raised to to be they're raised to to basically just be um uh i don't want to use the word sheep because it's overused but like they really i mean like so many people that are in the tea party like i remember when the tea party first came about i was kind of excited about it because it was ron paul and Rand paul and they were you know defeating these normal good old boy republicans and then quickly that got turned back into just normal, crazy Republicans. Um, <laughs> and so, like, I'm kind of, it's, it's, I'm, I don't know if I'm still making my point, but like, basically, like, people that are naturalized here, they have a different perspective because they've been in another country. Like, they appreciate the hardships of, they, I mean, I feel like they, they're more hardened just by things that they have to go through. Well, my, my I, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, Everyone appreciates something that they have to work for, and, and anymore, no, the U.S. doesn't just give out citizenship. They they put you through some hoops. You have to answer a test and all, all that. And uh, we don't have to do that if we're born here. So uh, that's all I was gonna say. People tend to appreciate things that they have to work for. Yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense uh, that, you know, people do have to appreciate what they work for. Like you think about um, the people that are most uh, staunch uh, uh, idealists are people that have actually done something, have invested time and effort into an ideology or whatever and that's why it's so hard to uh, get people to think critically because you know it's like if we spend five years talking about you know taking this uh, view whatever view it is I mean any but I mean think about the most critical view you have and then when it's the veil is uh, taken off and then you actually see things for what they are and if it's contrary to your idea I mean, you're going to still have a hard time, you know, letting go of that because you've invested so much time and effort into that idea. Yeah. You know? But uh, I think the the biggest problem and the, the biggest problem here in America from what I see is education. It is yeah. that, you know, because I grew up here like 
my experience with another country, you know, was basically my mom didn't speak English. So I was able to think, you know, that way. And I was able to use a different language. And then the neighborhood that I grew up with was mostly Mexicans. And then, and then I was able to go to the military and see even a broader world in Korea. That was like my first assignment. So then, you know, you start seeing more and more and more and more. And then it's like, uh, then when I started learning about the, the trivium and then I started learning about that viewpoint of the deliberate dumbing down of America, you know, I started thinking like, like, wow, you know, it's like, uh, anybody that thinks for themselves are demonized. Like I was in a fundamental independent Baptist church and they specified like, um, separation for, you know, and it's like, they think very critically within, I'm not going to say that they, <clears throat> but some, the people that I talked to thought very critically within the context of, uh, their religion. So you think like, okay, but that's the problem with, they're applying the trivium incorrectly. They're doing logic, grammar, and then rhetoric. So basically it's like they give them an idea and then they tell them to basically find out ways to prove that idea as opposed to this is what we see. Now let's use logic to interpret what you see. Makes you know, sense. it's backwards. So in America, we're like, we're just like that. They put us in a system in our mind. They give us the thing that we are supposed to believe. And then we just have arguments about that thing that we're supposed to believe. Yeah, that was actually everything I was really trying to say earlier. But when I wasn't <laughs> making sense, that's exactly what I was trying to say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But and Drew's saying thank you for putting this statement into an intellectual, <laughs> well thought out. <laughs> yes, thank you for God. articulating my thoughts. <laughs> no, I've, I've just been thinking about that a lot, man. It's like yeah. it's like uh, the, that's the really the problem. People liberal are smart. versus conservative <clears throat> thing. I mean, just like exactly. what you were saying, like it's like, and what I was trying to say is, it's just like, like I classify myself as a libertarian. Um, but it, I, I don't, I think maybe I just probably gravitate to that cause it's the only third party that kind of has an infrastructure in place with, I mean, like reason magazine is incredible. I mean, I've been, I paid like $30 for three years. So I was pretty proud of myself. Um, I found mm -hmm. some deal and, but like, there's so many good articles in reason magazine. Like there's so much shit that it sheds light on and it's just, uh, you know, it, you know, the whole liberal conservative name calling is silly i mean it's it's just like what you were saying with uh you know um using logic to to make sense of things versus using logic to defend an idea or to to uh see i'm messing it up again i'm starting to no 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 i, I totally Drew, get it like I'm, I'm watching <laughs> no, no I'm, I'm, I'm like i'm like following you yeah. and i totally see the, the where you're going because it's like uh Fudge. Now that I started talking, I, I totally <laughs> lost it too. <laughs> but no, so so back to what I'm saying. Like, you know, it's it's just like during the election, like I didn't like Mitt Romney because to me he was like the Republican John Kerry. Like to me he was he's the guy that they put in there, the guy that's not gonna win, the guy that you know he's got money, and he's just kind of like a shell of a human being. You know, he's just humanoid you know he doesn't really know how to relate with the common everyday man because everything to him is money like john Kerry, i don't know if everything to him was money but he just seemed kind of phony like the big the republicans biggest uh 
like what my friends that I had that were Republicans during the election said was he doesn't represent his class of people. And I was just like, well, I, I guess I see what you're saying, but that's still kind of bogus. But I just was mainly anti-Bush. Like I was just anti-Bush. But this election, it was like, but I didn't even know why I didn't like Bush. Like I just thought he was an asshole and, you know, I didn't like that we were going to war. But I didn't really understand like civil liberties, how many civil liberties he took away. Like I, I, I just wasn't aware of it. I was only like 19. And then this election, like, I don't like Obama because he's destroyed our civil liberties. Like, he's done so much more to, like, piss on our civil liberties. Like, I mean, he, it's not that he's done more than Bush, but he took what Bush was doing, and then he, it's like Bush never really left. He just has a different face. Like, that agenda is still in place. We're still invading countries. Civil liberties are still be ta- still being taken away. And I'm, I'm probably beating a dead horse here because we talk about this a lot on the podcast, but... I just, you know, people hear what people don't hear what you say; they hear what you keep saying. So sometimes, you know, you got to repeat things. But like, again, like Republicans were going after Obama not for the fact that he was taking away civil liberties, but because, you know, the the crazy birther things. Donald Trump comes out and says all that dumb shit about I'll give you five million dollars, and it's just like that. You're not even attacking the, you know, important issues. And then I read like. Um, this, this guy, Mike Riggs, he wrote this article in reason about how Obama was talking about civil liberties in the debates and how, oh, you know, the next debate, cause after Obama did so poorly in that first debate, he's, um, the Obama campaign was saying, well, we're going to, we're going to attack civil liberties. And Mike Riggs just went in this article and he listed off like 30 things that Obama's done. Like how, what's going on with these civil liberties here? Like, good luck with that, Obama. But he's like, of course, Romney's campaign will never mention this stuff. It was just about like the the raw milk. And um, I mean, it's it's just a list of things. I'll send you the article. But I just find it fascinating. Like people aren't like instead, it's just let's fight over the fact that we are we're from different ideologies um, versus actually thinking logical, if that makes any sense at all. It does, man. Um, I'd like to present a different uh, perspective Okay. Um, okay. So imagine. Okay. Uh, where were you born? Uh, what city were you born in? Toledo, Ohio. Okay. So imagine Toledo. So you grew up in Toledo. You grew up in your neighborhood, and there was a certain point where you, you know, you started exploring the city, or maybe other cities, right? And then there was another little circle that you, uh, that you got became familiar with, and you started seeing that, and then. Um, the, the older you got, the more you started experiencing. So your circle kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger as far as, uh, the world that you perceive and what's around you. So when you said like, I, um, consider my, or I I identify more with the libertarian point of view, the problem is that, that, uh, that word already uh, implies uh, a bunch of things, right? And you sure. don't necessarily believe everything in that uh, circle. But, you know, I, I think what's important is to be able to um, take away from that point of view what you need to be able to have critical thinking. Uh, you know, and all the did you listen to episode, did either of you? listen to episode three on uh, my podcast with uh, Edward Bernays. Uh, it was a compilation of uh, some of the stuff about him. Uh, I've, it wasn't I've just me the, talking. I've seen the century of the self, um, but uh, I, 
I haven't had a chance. I'm still on episode two. So, um, but no. <clears throat> yeah. On, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said to answer your question, no, before I interrupt. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> no, well, well, the thing is that um, he, and of course I got this from Gnostic Media, his interview that somebody had done with him, it seems like a very old-timey, like it was the 1950s or something, that they did this recording. And I actually started off with an NPR uh, presentation. done. Um, so then they started talking about Edward Bernays and what impact he did here in the United States. Um, they, they left out <laughs> the, um, basically shaping the American, uh, mindset to allow us to go in and get rid of, uh, the Guatemalan dictator so that, uh, Chiquita banana could, uh, uh, take, take over the, uh, that's why they call it the banana Republic, you know? Really? So they could take over that industry. So he he actually he was the nephew of Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud was the father of psychoanalysis, and through psychoanalysis, uh, you know, um, according to the NPR thing, uh, a Bernays tried to tell Sigmund Freud like, "Hey man, we can make money out of this," and Sigmund Freud uh, didn't like it. He thought it was too American. He didn't like those ideas. He wanted to use it actually to help people supposedly like this is the NPR story. But, yeah. you know, uh, he definitely implemented a lot of that psycho and psychoanalysis is just recognizing patterns in people. Now we're able to actually uh, look into the science behind it through MRI machines and things like that. And but, you know, people think it's wishy washy because it's not concrete like math like two plus two is four like there is no uh, other answer and with psychoanalysis you're looking for patterns of behavior and that's what they're using right now in our uh, uh, you know as a social consciousness you know to be able to take us whichever way they want to take us so i believe that this conversation about democrats republicans and uh, libertarians and you think about those three perspectives and it only being three is we are putting ourselves within a bubble they cannot see outside of it we are arguing about those three things those things within that bubble when there are people outside of that bubble that like kind of like I told you, like you grew up in Toledo in your neighborhood and then your bubble kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And there's something bigger than those three parties. Yeah, and I... we see it because uh, Obama is just a continuation of Bush. We see it because, you know, uh, yeah, the, the, the Tea Party started and me at that time when it started, I was a conservative Christian. So I wanted to. To, to root for them, you know, and then it's like, it just turned into just, uh, like Neo-con. you said, extreme, yeah, neoconservative. And it's like, when we just start seeing, uh, back to Bernays, the thing that he says about, uh, he calls it public relations, but they had to change it from propaganda to public relations because of the bad connotations it had. And now it's called marketing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what it he said is that you know you have to study all these different uh, 
like subjects, including sociology, psychology, uh, social psychology, like, you know, uh, you, you have to study all these different things. And he talked about in that interview, which I didn't put in my podcast, but he talked about how he is able to maybe do a presentation to a company and how he stays, he looks at it like he wants to know what specific groups are talking about. You know what I mean? Like uh, you, you talk about conservative Christians, what they're talking about. Like he's looking from outside of these echo chambers and reading the articles that they're reading uh, as uh, as an observer. And then from there, he forms his own uh, uh, like um, uh, plan of attack on which direction he wants to take it. So us as observers, we need to think along those lines for our own well-being and our own family and our own, uh, you know, the world that's around us and how it's shaped. And it's like uh, if you if somebody you know, not jump to conclusions and, and and start trying to change whatever. But it's like, I don't know. It's like we need to make our bubble bigger. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. No, that makes sense. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you can't, you can never get information and then close the opening for where in, more information comes in. I think that's like a, that's a big thing. Like I was, I was talking to my buddy, uh, Jeremy on uh, my like I think it was my my third podcast and he's from he's from Vancouver and I don't know if you you got a chance to check that one out but he's definitely pretty extreme with his views but it's it's all because he's come to an understanding of things like this is he his views are what he's thought out it's not that anybody told him to think that way so I I don't like his whole idea is for us to totally be free um you know, we, we eventually need to like take the technology from society, but kind of go from being humongous societies into smaller, um, kind of commune type things and be a bunch of sovereign nations. And which I, I'm not totally going to be, you know, I, I'm not totally going to agree with that, but I, I think to a certain point, I see what he's saying, if that makes sense. Like, you know, it's, you know, you, you know, I I hear I hear that a lot from like uh, Joe Rogan, right? I hear him yeah. saying like, you know, and it's like, um, like I don't know, man. I I don't see that. Like that is so far from where we are as a society right now. Correct. To think, and so it's like all we're doing is like, um, which. Honestly, man, I, I just think I think the machine is just rolling so hard, like so hard that, you know, most of us are locked in to uh, at least, you know, someone like me. Like, you know, I got a lot of kids, you know, I have to work a lot to be able to, you know, provide take care of my kids and provide. And, and uh, you know, like I, I'm locked in, like there's no way that I can actually the only people I have an influence in you know are people that trust me and know me which is family and friends and then it's like you know i just see it as like uh this system that we live in like if uh, 
system that we live in, we need to learn how to work within this system because like, uh, you know, it's like the more we talk about, um, like something like that, like small communities and things like that. And it's like totally being oblivious to the direction that they're taking us. You look at, uh, from what I've noticed is that they're really trying to get people into the cities. They're trying to get people outside of, uh, you know, in the country and the stuff. country. Yeah. They're, they're trying to, you know, they, they are taking us in a certain direction. Yeah. And to talk, so it's, and to talk, it's like, yeah, a, so it's, I'll keep going. Uh, so, so to talk about like how it should be and, uh, you know, it's like there is, maybe we can do incremental changes and progress to be able to get there unless it's something, something major happens. And then like thinking like Bernays, like you can only work with what you got. You can't just come up with an idea and expect it to come into play. You have to work with what you got because we live in this metaphysical world. And, you know, it's like when you, uh, I, I don't like that uh, perspective and I'm not, you know, if people, if your listeners and stuff believe this, uh, like the whole string theory and things like that, mm-hmm. you know, the origins of that is that primacy or, you know, rea- the, the primacy of reality starts with the mind, you know, and of course the, the thing is that um, you see something different than a dog sees, than a frog sees. So what really is out there? Like that's that's awesome the, because that's definitely something that's got me thinking a lot about the world around me and has made me more curious. But at the same time, the thing that brought us the iPhone, the thing that brought us, you know, these measurements, the house, the architecture and things like that is actually believing that the metaphysical world exists independent from our mind, our consciousness. Yeah, you're ex- so you're exactly you know I mean? right on that. It's it's basically it's the same thing of uh, if you didn't have your senses, because one's perception is their reality. If you didn't have your senses, I mean, would the desk still be real if you couldn't feel it, if you couldn't touch it, if you couldn't taste it or anything like that? Exactly. It, is it still real? I mean, if you didn't have that to tell you. And, and it, going back to what you were saying before, a lot of it, you're absolutely correct. Uh, like I said, I, I agree with you 100% on, on everything you've been saying. And you've been saying in a very eloquent and very soothing manner with the rhythm of your voice. It's really nice. Uh, I appreciate that. Wes is gay for your voice. no homo. Uh, <laughs> Hash, no homo. Tell my wife, man. Maybe I can. Never mind. Four <laughs> <laughs> uh, babies on Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no more. <laughs> it's, it's uh, you, you have to open up your mind and you have to accept things like you were saying before. Nobody, nobody, assuming that everybody else is real, so to speak, um, nobody has the same life anyone else does. They don't have the same experiences. Their value system is shaped in an entirely different way than your value system or anyone else's value system in the world because they've not experienced the same things in the same manner. It's really interesting that um, people are so, so quick to, to hate on people uh, without willing to uh, say, look, you know, I accept this person is, is a person. Um, and they, they have value and they have knowledge. And, and if I can open up and, 
and maybe I can I can learn something from them. even if I feel like on the outside there's nothing I can gain from this person I, I can almost guarantee everybody that there is something that you can gain from that person as long as you're quiet and patient and listen to them and observe them and see what yes they- anybody yeah. anybody even someone who is like you know void of reason yeah. you can learn from that person Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, sometimes even if it's just learning an example, like, gosh, that that was a really bad decision that person made in this one case, or or even if it's something, you know, even if you look at it that way, um, but I guarantee you that there's something more positive you can get than that. I mean, that's that's really just scraping the surface in terms of what you can learn from somebody. Yeah, man, for sure, bro. I, I totally agree with that. I do as well. it's uh no i I think it's it's you know i I think uh just coming back to you know not only trying to learn from people but i think you know just try not to think bad shit about people like try not to like i'll i'll see someone and i like i'll i'll catch myself like just not thinking very nice things about the person i don't even know just in uh like in walmart or something like that if i'm at walmart and it's 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 fun to kind of make fun of people, but in the same token, it's just like you know, is that really good good to do? Is that really good to to judge someone that I don't know in my head like that? Like I don't know where, what kind of background they've had or anything like that. I, I think it's just good to to try to not think bad things about other people. Like I, th- I think it's good to always recognize that another person's a human being. They just might be lost in this in the madness of everyday life. Um, well, you don't know where their journey might take. Yeah, everyone's journey's different. Not everyone has the same trials and tribulations. Some people are tested a lot more than others. Um, I, I mean, look at look at people, even just with you, Mick. Um, like you said before, no more kids. I mean, there's a lot of people who, if they were in that situation, I mean, you you see a lot of guys not willing to put forth the work and the effort to provide. Like like you said, you have to put in a lot of hours. You're kind of restricted to your environment and, and your sphere of influence and in some manners. Not entirely like, you know, your podcast uh, is a great way that you're reaching out and, you know, really shedding a lot of knowledge and, and opening up a lot of eyes to a lot of different people, um, which is really great. I agree. I could Thank hurt. you, man. <laughs> Thanks. And that's uh, that's like my way of, uh, you know, um, like, I, I don't know. I was doing, I don't, you guys probably don't know, but I was doing a lot of silly shit before with the podcast. <laughs> a lot of silly stuff, well, man. And so, um, huh? I was going to say, this is like the first one that I think I've been on that hasn't been involving like fart jokes and porns. <clears throat> uh, trust me, I, I understand. <laughs> And that, I mean, I'm telling you, man, like you can still find them somewhere in the web, but I, I really try not to point people there anymore because I'm really trying to project the different, you know, <laughs> you're not Snoop Dogg, you're Snoop Lion now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not that it's, uh, you know, it's like, um, it was first, it was just kind of to make people laugh, people that I met on Twitter and just kind of like making them laugh. And so I created this, um, this fictitious character and uh because i had been into fundamental independent baptist churches uh, for a long time i created a character his name was pastor joe and i created a backstory for him right <laughs> he was like <laughs> he was like from east texas in a um 
in a nursing home and uh, I ended up going to the nursing home supposedly right so me and him quote him on quotes right I would go back and forth and we uh, my job was to kind of uh, make him a little bit more uh, politically correct and what he would do is he would not realize that he's being racist so uh, it was just it was really it was fun but it was just I, I can see that being misinterpreted. But I had to be honest in the beginning. You guys uh, probably if you listen to the first episode, you're like, what is he talking about? You know, changing a whole changing his whole thing. Like, what is he talking about? Man, it was dirty, dude. It was dirty. He was like, I mean, he had done some bestiality when he was little. So it was like so much stuff. And I was like, oh, man. But what I come to realize is like, you know, the. the the family I have, they can't get rid of me. <laughs> and the friends that I got, well, it's because I want them to be my friends. So, yeah. you know, you got to take me off for who I am. So I had to be straight up in the beginning. And there's enough shit out there that if anybody wants to soil my reputation, <laughs> they'll be able to do it. <laughs> uh, it's so yeah, I remember uh, when I was on, I remember Izzy talking about how you were back and for a while you disappeared on the internet or something like that. Um, yeah, for a month because um, I started, dude, golly. I started, okay, I started interviewing. I interviewed one of the reporters from Spain uh, that was from the, um, the, the, the protests that were going on down there. And then I interviewed a lady. She was a feminist from Monterey, Mexico. And uh, she... Uh, so I kind of got the feel of where the middle class consciousness was over there in Mexico. And then I um, started doing some research on some of these uh, billionaires, these, uh, you know, Forbes list guys mm -hmm. that are from Mexico. And the shit that was coming out of their mouth was really disturbing. And then I uh, realized uh, that if I wanted to pursue that, uh, I needed to, I don't know, I, I didn't want to pursue it. I'll just put it like that sure. because I realized that, you know, I, I have two kids in Mexico. I have two um, with, from a previous marriage. So I have to be very careful whenever I talk about things like that, you know, yeah. um, that the fact that we, that we gave uh, the cartel some arms does not make me feel any better about uh, you talking about yeah. those issues, you know? So it's like, all right. So then what I came to realize is that, is that the problem, not problem, I'm not going to say that, like you're going to hear from my podcast saying that uh, I, tr I want to stop thinking about good and bad. I want to start thinking about, uh, more like a balance. So, yeah. uh, you know, if I wanted to make a change in any kind of way, you know, the best way is here in our yeah. country because the policies, if you listen to the ambassador of Mexico when he was talking in this one conference, uh, I think it was uh, the Aspen Institute. Uh, it's like some conference or something. And he said we'd rather be sitting at the table than being on the menu with the united states you know so it's very clear that uh, they're going to conform to whatever we do 
whatever our country does. And now I have a hard time saying we because those politicians don't represent me. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's like it's hard for me to say we, but uh, we've been conditioned to to do that to right. where we are sympathizing with our captives, captors, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stockholm syndrome. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and that's so, a. I never thought of the the American public as Stockholm syndrome. That's actually uh, it's actually pretty interesting, just with the media and everything. Um, yeah, man, it's crazy. So, so that is why I pulled away from that. Uh, I pulled away from, and I was like, I'm gonna start clean. I'm gonna start fresh, and uh, that's where I'm right now. And I'm trying. I think that the best way is uh, for education. And it's so it sucks, man, because to be an effective speaker or, or to a creative movement, whenever you see fundamentalist movement, one thing in common is that they all demonize someone. They all have this enemy that's like, ah, this bad guy. Like in Germany, the Jews or. Exactly. For us, it's the terrorists right now. It used yeah. to be the communists. Yeah. So we have to have an enemy to be able to rally, uh, you know, the people that are refusing to use logic, you know? Yeah. So it's like. Religion. There's yeah. no there's no great hero without a great villain, even if it's Jesus and the devil or, you know, even in mytho other mythology. Yeah. Yeah. David and Goliath, that whole. But speaking of fundamentalists, people that actually get up and uh, take action, whether it's voting or let's just say that the voting is not even voting. All it does is just, uh, you know, uh, I mean, you could think whatever you want. I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't trust our political system and no I don't way. validate them at, at all. You know what I mean? But I'm just saying the people that can actually make a change, uh, that have the potential to get into government, the young people that are not married yet, that, uh, have that leeway to do it instead of chasing Punani, they could actually go out there and, uh, change you know, the world. <laughs> change yeah. the world. Try you to be like I mean? David Seaman. Yeah. It's like, you know, uh, like just take hold of it and do something. Unfortunately, they have to use that tactic to convince the masses to actually do stuff. I mean, the Revolutionary War, we had to have an enemy, you know, to be able to get everybody on board to fight, you know? Absolutely. It's crazy, dude. I think, uh, but I think, you know, podcasts like ours, um, like my, ours and yours are, I mean, Shane Smith was right. I mean, that's that's what really starts. I mean, I, I've just even noticed with my dad, um, when he started listening to podcasts at work, like he, he, just our conversations are different now. Not that like we we had bad conversations before, but I think my my dad kind of sees the cool things that you know anybody can do it, like anybody. Yeah. And it's just like he has to see my setup, and I'm like, well, it's it's not really a setup, Dad. I just have microphone stands and mics. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's for 500 bucks. I mean, you can, you can have a pretty decent setup and, and it, great it, audio quality. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, and I, 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 th I think it's just, uh, you know, I, th I think it's people want a voice like people like us who actually think we need to know that we're, we're out there. And then, you know, maybe our conversations can, can set other people off to start doing their own research so people can go to, Gnostic media and and figure out what the trivium is. Um, I reached out to Jan Irvin by the way on Facebook. 
or Facebook really? friends. Yeah. I was like, that's hey. so cool, man. Yeah. I, I, I don't really do Facebook. My, me and my wife have ours consolidated, but it's like I, I tried to mention him on Twitter and it's like uh, crickets chirping. Yeah. He didn't respond to me, but I was like, hey, yeah, you but, know, but, I'd love to do a podcast. So I, I think no, if I just but, keep bothering him, but I know like Kelly <laughs> Bellelli's really, uh, like he's really cool. Like I got a, I tweeted him or I Facebook, I'm friends with him and he like responded right away. He's like, Anytime, just let me know when you're ready. Yeah, but Jan Irvin has been doing this for like over uh, probably a decade or maybe a, a little bit less than that. You know, yeah. like this is his livelihood. So he's like, he he's already set. I don't think he's like recently come into like, uh, you know, he wants, yeah. he's very interested in mostly those primary sources. Like that's yeah. what he's focusing all his energy in. Yeah, no, that into. makes sense. That makes sense. He's kind of... Have you ever checked out Jordan Maxwell? No, no, no. Who's that? Jordan Maxwell, he's this older guy, and he's like he, I mean, he's been around for years. He's just always been really into the occult, and he's really into breaking down um, symbolism and everything else like that. And he, you can get on and you can watch. Like he, I mean, he gets he does get a lot like pretty on the conspiracy, and he has more doom and gloom, but uh, pretty fascinating. I mean, like he. There's this one lecture you can watch, and it's uh, like Jordan Maxwell exposes the Illuminati, and it's like three hours and ten minutes of him nonstop just going into stuff. And then there's, I mean, it, it, he just has like done research for 50 years. Like I don't, I don't agree with all of his viewpoints, but like, man, it's it's just good to listen to people like that and hear what they have to say. I mean, somebody that spent tons of time, you know, trying to figure stuff out because he has, yeah, Zachariah <laughs> Stitchin, even like Zachariah Stitchin, like. He's a guy, another guy who was a little bit loony to based on like society's things, but don't hate on a person for coming to their own conclusions. Like you don't have to agree with them, but you can still learn from them and entertain their perspective. Or um, I was gonna think of somebody else. Uh, That's one thing that I've really learned. Like removing all emotion when you're actually trying to consciously think rationally and think logically you have to remove all emotion like you cannot be emotionally involved because you're going to get you know uh biased you, you, you i don't mind like i realize that i look into things because i'm looking i have a confirmation uh, i'm biased you know what i mean i'm going towards it because i'm trying to I'm going already with a preconceived notion, but I want to see if that notion is so. And that's one thing's like, uh, you know, those people that have uh, been to uh, Protestant churches uh, or evangelical churches, the people that actually read the Bible, like Bible churches or Baptist churches or uh, old school Presbyterians, or, you know, there, there's a they encourage people to always uh, interpret scripture with scripture. And uh, it comes from this uh I forgot what the verse says, but it's basically saying, be like the Bereans who looked to the scriptures and saw if it was so like, you know, uh, you know, look into things and see if they are the what, what you believe. You know, what I mean, like how many uh, of the things that you are uh, sharing with everybody, like uh, as a fact, have you verified yourself? You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. how it, and then so when you verify it, you actually have more confidence and you can actually make a, a bigger impact because you, you're not just 
repeating the words, you're actually trying to formulate the idea of of this particular subject or whatever it is. And you can think more critically, you know, but removing the emotion of it, like, you know, and, and think, uh, I don't know, from all sides, like make your bubble bigger. You know what I mean? You can actually like piece things a whole lot better. It's so fulfilling, dude, just to be able to to like. To, 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 to not be married to a concept, just to be married to truth, to truth seeking, you know, because, you know, it's a constant, you know, as, as new things are revealed to us uh, by study, by, you know, uh, by study or by whatever means it's revealed to us, then we can keep adding on to that knowledge. You know what I mean? And it's just, it, it, I don't know, man, I, I get off on that. No, that makes sense. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, and on top of that, that's the thing. I mean, the truth, knowledge, knowledge isn't harmful. Yes, it's scary. Yes, it might shake the foundations of what you thought you knew. But guess what? Would you, would you rather be living in a lie? Would you rather say, no, 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 I'd rather be the ostrich with my head in the sand? Because if so, I mean, that's... I think that's awfully sad, and maybe if you had a little bit more truth, a little bit more uh, in, internal uh, research, you might find out why that is. But, I mean, the truth and openness and knowledge, I mean, that's that, those are all great things. Nothing bad happens with that. Yeah, it's like uh, I heard somebody say, like, everybody can appreciate the benefits of science, but nobody likes the questions that you have to ask to get there. <laughs> that's good <laughs> I think I heard that in Frankenweenie so everybody knows Frankenweenie I watched it yesterday that's cool like, that's some pearls of wisdom right there um, yeah, and, and it's like science has this uh, religious connotation now to where it's like if you question anything like most people can't even and, and that's where education comes back again like yeah. what where is your foundation for this things that you're spouting off and and repeating somebody else like do you really understand it how much of it do you understand who is this person you're citing you know what i mean mm -hmm. who is this who what when where why how you know uh how credible are they who are their opponents of those ideas uh you know like all these questions but it's like because you know somebody presents an idea and it makes sense like my brother-in-law i love my brother-in-law but he's like when my wife was uh you know, like uh, she was uh, breastfeeding the babies. Uh, he was like, he, he was in California and she was talking to him on the phone. He was like, um, you know, it's bad for you to do that because the food, you know, the food that we eat nowadays is full of hormones. And so then you're transferring that over to the kids. Formula is better. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, so now we, we you have to make uh you have to you're assuming that all these other things are right you know and clearly to me he, it just sounded like he was repeating somebody's propaganda but yeah. i'm thinking like okay so we have to take into account like that the food that we're eating has uh you know hormones in it like there has to like i've never done any research honestly like if uh, i used to like say stuff like that too but now it's like now that we're on the podcast and people can verify what you're saying mm -hmm. and they can look at it themselves and it's like they can call you out on it. Now I'm a little <laughs> bit more cautious. So what like, I like is you I encourage people to call you out at least. Like you're like, yeah, if I'm that. wrong, say something. Um, Something like back to science, like how it, you were saying how it's almost a religion and how people are challenging it. There's a guy, uh, 
his name is Thomas Kuhn, and he actually wrote a book. It's called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, and it's it's just about how whenever there's like a big scientific discovery, there becomes a box around that discovery, and people like stop answering questions. And then if you start questioning that discovery, then you get um, it's like you get uh, it kind of turns into a witch hunt, and it, and and. And what's funny is when he wrote this book, so many people discredited him and so many people took a shit on him for it. But um, it's worth checking out. His name's Thomas Kuhn. Um, Man, I need to write that down. Yeah, because I think I think you would like it. Uh, my stepdad threw this my way just because he's he's really big into education as well. Um, just uh, just with what he did for a living, like writing coursework to educate people. So, Oh really? Oh, yeah. that's fascinating, dude. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. So man, turn me into this. So he's a, he's a pretty smart guy. He's a, oh, man. he's not much of a talker, but if you actually, again, you have to be patient. And if you listen to what he's saying, like yeah. he'll dump pearls of wisdom into your head. So once, once you can, you can wait. I mean, you can't, you can't. That is so cool, man. You can't force a flower to open. You just have to wait for those things, and then it blooms, and you see all the wonderful things that they reveal. Yeah, but he was. I told him when you were saying on Twitter about uh, how you said the military had so many skill soft things. How there must be a good, a big contract. And I'm like, wow, that makes sense. Yeah, dude. Have Bain Capital's figurehead there if they. One of their subsidiary companies is what educates the military in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so he was he he didn't know about that. So he's like, that's really interesting. He's like, uh, um, that's what everybody wants too is the government contracts. Exactly. That is the way, dude. When when I was even thinking on the lower level when I was gonna get out of the military, I was like, man, I used to cut yards when I was little, and I used to see all these people. Like soldiers don't even cut the the lawns uh, anymore. Like now it's done by contract workers, and these uh, at least in Fort Polk it was. So I'm like, how much do these dudes get money? Like, every, you know, getting a government contract is the way to go. They overpay everybody. And yeah. It's because they don't have to. They don't have to pay benefits to these people, so they overpay everybody. That's their logic, but I think it's more than that. I think it's more like there's relationships there, you know. Yeah. Well, and uh, you know, we could we could probably talk all day and everything. Yeah, I was just about to say the same thing, but it is Christmas. <laughs> Merry oh, Christmas, yeah. motherfuckers Merry Christmas, that are listening. Man. Merry Christmas, man. I hope you guys have a great time with your family. But we got to uh, our moms called us. A couple oh, times. Okay, cool. gotta be so, but no, she's just ignoring uh, us, ignoring her the first couple times. <laughs> so she she knows. She probably thinks we're asleep or something. So, uh, but anyways, we got to do this again, Mick. It was a great time, and I'm yeah. I'm glad I finally figured out how to have two people on this. Uh, well, we figure out how to do two people. Yeah, on, uh, I'm glad both of y'all were on here, and uh, yeah. I'm glad I thought to use a splitter. <laughs> so, for people that listen, that gets a podcast stuff. If you're going to use your Zoom as your audio and microphone, you can't use both microphone ports. You have to use a splitter and hook up two microphones to one port to get it to work. Just so if you have no idea what I'm talking about, just Twitter me and I'll help you walk. I'll walk you through it. So a lot of people are trying to start their own podcast or even people that already have podcasts. Sounds so like an old man. Twitter me. Twitter me. Tweet me. Yeah. 
tweet me. Um, well, anyways, Mick, Merry Christmas, man, and thank yeah. you Thanks, so man. much, man. Can I say one more thing? Oh, you can say uh, whatever you want to say. Thing, man. Okay, well, here's an article from the New York Times, and there uh, it comes from Munich, uh, and uh, it's titled the. Uh, it says, "Death of a Classical Scholar." The late professor Tierzik, his character, life and achievements, his library from our own co- correspondent, May twenty fifth, eighteen sixty. So uh, I just want to kind of let people know what the. The, the sentiment was back then on education real quick. And uh, he was the founder of the liberal system of education in Bavaria, which is a, a, a part of uh, Germany, I guess, at that time. But anyway, uh, the last I'm, I'm just going to read the last uh, part of it. It says uh, he Professor Tiersek was a favorable specimen. He, he died. So this is basically an article saying about who he was, was a favorable specimen of a philologist. He did not like another Erasmus of many a premier scholar of the present day hesitate to apply the lessons of classic experience to the politics and dialectics of his time. He was not so long in gazing backward at the past as to lose all all consciousness of the present. Now, this is the important last paragraph. There is no danger that we Americans, this is in 1860, will drive this matter too far. We shall not, for centuries to come, sacrifice knowledge to learning, and classical culture will only refine, not enervate us. We have no hesitation, therefore, in urging upon the notice of new academic institutions or private philologians, the subject of Dr. Tiersk's unequaled collection of books in this line, which is now in Munich and for sale. It's like this system, the classical education was being revived in the early 1800s. And, uh, you know, as you see the Bernays kind of thing, it's like now they're not treating us like rational beings anymore like the way we were treated then it, teaching us uh, you know the classics and stuff and, and by that i mean like greek and latin and the trivium and the quadrivium now it's like they just went with uh sigmund freud's vision of us just being animals and that's what they give to us just enough to pacify us so if anything i just want to encourage people to you know uh just uh look to see if things are what you believe them to be. That's it. Nick, that's unfair teasing us like that because that could have spurred off a whole other conversation because immediately I thought, well, back then also you got to think not everybody had the right to education and now that everybody has the right to education. Actually, in in 1805 is when the New York system, the first state of the union, which was probably about 30 years after the revolution, from the beginning, they encouraged uh, states to start enacting these things. So a philanthropical effort was done in New York in 1807 by some philanthropists presenting it to the Senate, and the Senate responded back. And there's a book, actually. Uh, they took, uh, you know, that Lancasterian system of education where they didn't spend that much money, but they had like one schoolmaster and then they taught all these different kids. And then that's when like sophomore, freshman, sophomore and senior actually meant something. They were actually teaching the younger students. And that was not uh, the 
classical system of learning that was a different kind, but still they taught them how to read and write and arithmetic so that they could actually further their own personal learning. But that's for another podcast, I guess. Wow. Wow. Well, how can people follow you on Twitter and how can they oh. listen to your podcast? Oh, man. I, uh, you can follow me on Twitter by going to at Postal Poet and uh, you can go to my podcast by going to Postal Poet is one word and podcasts on iTunes. And uh, Do you still have a blog? Uh, yeah, it's somewhere in there. Shoot. I got like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I'm, I'm very infrequent. Uh, with the blog, but uh, podcast, my podcast Twitter. is really my, if I have any energy left over at the end of the day after all these kids and work, it goes to my podcast. Like right now, I'm 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 dissecting a, a speech by a. I'll just leave that mystery. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. <laughs> well, we'll have to do this. Uh, we'll have to get again soon, maybe next week, um, just so we can yeah. finish this podcast and we'll have more time. But. Who knows? But um, anyways, brother, thank you so much for coming on yeah. and uh, Merry Christmas. And thanks. Merry Christmas to you too, man. Happy, happy you guys. Thank solstice. You. Thanks a lot for your time. Yes. We know. Oh uh, no, man. Thank you. Man, it's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Thank man. you so much. All right, Mick, you make it a great day, bud. All right, bro. You too. Later. Bye. Well, I slept on the solid ground near your house, and it felt just like. A barbell wrapped in a shirt When I slept on the solid ground near your house I could feel its weary muscles under the dirt Back the corners of life.